Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Our passage this morning is Matthew 22, verses 15 through 22. And would you stand with me as we read God's word? Jesus is in the temple, remember. He is speaking again in the temple. Maybe a different occasion than the, the passages and the, the parables that, that have occupied us for several weeks now because the Pharisees leave and come back and and it apparently is a different occasion. This is the word of God. Then the Pharisees went and took counsel together about how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth and defer to no one for you are not partial to any. Therefore, tell us what do you think? Is it lawful to give a tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their wickedness, said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they marveled, and leaving him, they went away. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning asking that you will inhabit your word by your spirit. My prayer, Father, is that these may not be mere words, but that they may be your words, and that they may thus come with conviction and power by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. I am as most of you likely know who've been around here sometime approaching the age when a man steps down from the senior position. And it's not directly ahead of us, but it is ahead of us and uh, all of us. And uh, as I've grown in age and as I've gotten to know you all better and as God has blessed our church, I find myself just loving you. And I don't want to preach sermons that are hard <laughs> because I want to I want you to know how good God is and how good I've found him to be but the reality is that God is a God who is jealous as well as merciful a God who is just and if you read the Old Testament you can't escape the reality that God is God and all his qualities and all the things that are the attributes of his character and this morning we're looking at a passage which is though you may not be thinking it at this moment, a very, very challenging passage. And a passage that reduces Jesus' foes to little wobbling masses of jelly who can't respond and who leave. Now these are people who hate him and they've come to test him and put him, they want to kill him. And Jesus reduces them to a quivering pulp by 
what he does here. That much is clear, right? And hearing this, they marveled, and leaving him, they went away, okay? They came to test him. It's a new kind of a test in certain ways because it actually involves not a hypothetical situation or some logical conundrum, but an actual test, you know? Should we do this? Is it lawful to give to Caesar his tax, his poll tax, which is a tax that's the same for everyone? Uh, a poll tax is really hated because the rich don't have to pay any more than the poor. Everyone pays the same amount. And so they come to him and they say, and it's, it's a unique situation because it's not just at this point one of the tribes, you know, one of the leadership groups coming on its own, but the Herodians are coming with the Pharisees. And that's kind of like the Republicans coming with the Democrats, only worse. Because Herod is an illegitimate king. He's Idumean, half Idumean, which is Edomite, which means he's a son of Esau, not of... <laughs> not of the chosen people. Half Jewish, no son of David. And the Pharisees are the Hebrews of Hebrews, as Paul says. You know, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And there's no love lost between these two groups, the Herodians, a small group. It's a, a wealthy, empowered group. They're the elites. The Pharisees are the real Jews. They're the ones who are, well, they're pulling up the trucks at the Ambassador Bridge. That's the kind of party that the Pharisees are. The Herodians are, are Prime Minister Trudeau and his friends in Ottawa, you know. And the Pharisees come with the Herodians to Jesus. Unprecedented. And the reality is that they come together because they know that one of them is going to win in this confrontation. They assume at the outset that one of them is going to win. And one side is going to leave empowered to seek his life. And the other side is going to receive satisfaction. Whichever answer he gives, whether it's lawful or not, either the Herodians or the Pharisees are going to be happy. Because this is a question that would divide the Herodians. Herodians, of course, being installed, as Herod was, by the, the Roman authorities, they're going to say, yeah, you pay that tax. The Pharisees are going to say, no, we give our tax, our poll tax to God and God alone. We do not pay Rome. Remember, a few chapters back when Jesus told Peter to throw his line in and get a fish, and the fish came out with a coin, to pay the temple tax, it was the Jewish coin, the temple tax coin, it was unique, it was minted by the Jews, they were allowed to do it for the, these some purposes and they had their own minting ability, but the common coins were the denarii, that's the plural of denarius, denarii. And, and so, the, remember when Jesus got that coin, it, it was because people had come up to Peter and said, hey, does your master pay the temple tax? That was a poll tax as well, it was the same for everyone, every Jewish male. And so it's obvious that when they come to him on this occasion, the two of them, and say, should we pay the poll tax to Rome? One side, the Pharisees are going to say, absolutely not. We give our money to God and no one beyond God. God alone is worthy of our poll tax. Herodians are going to say, oh, no, yeah, we, we, we give our money. You should give your money. And so dire enemies, you know, enemies from birth are combining here because Jesus is such an incredible threat to them. 
He is so threatening to everything that's going on in Jerusalem that, that the Republicans and Democrats combined come together and say, kill him, we've got to kill him, we've got to kill him, we've got to get rid of this man, we've got to kill him. And he leaves them defeated. Don't think he's going to render them a quivering pulp in their attempt to undo his authority and to come against him. And that those words that he uses that reduce them to that, that state are going to leave you just entitled and all, all being good in your life. It's not going to work. These, you may not see these as challenging words. And if you don't, it's because two things. One is you've been taught wrongly about this passage. And I don't, you know... It's obvious. The second is you're not looking at the word of God and thinking biblically if you don't see the challenge of these words. I'm, I'm just saying that honestly. If you don't see the challenge here, you've, you've been cultivating uh, an ability to ignore what the Bible says. All right? Now, I've got to say that I heard so much on this passage over the years that it really wasn't cultivated for me to believe what I was told, you know, and, and I, I would say the same about you. That if you hold the view that's the classic view today of this passage, well, blessings on you because you've been taught it over and over and I don't know how you could go otherwise growing up in the church of today. But the church of today views this in, in a very anodyne way. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So these arch enemies come to Jesus and they say, we're going to put him down. We're going to put this dog down. We have, you know, we're going to come together. Pharisees, Herodians, we're going to put him down. We're going to flatter him. We're going to say, oh, Jesus. That's another thing that's unique about this. Instead of hitting him, they're flattering him. Oh, we know you tell the truth. Oh, you're a, you're a straight shooter, Jesus. Tell us. We really need to know. You know, it's a debate between us. Should we pay it? Should we not? Should we pay it? Should we not? Should I stay or should I go? You know? And these guys are going, yeah, we're going to put, them, we're going to put this dog down by this question. This is, the, this is the ultimate. This is actually the penultimate, the second to last test of Christ. There's another one. But after that, they don't try anymore. He's just, he, has, he has put them down. They have not put him down. But they come and they say, Jesus, should we pay this, this tax? And Jesus says, well, show me the coin, right? Bring me a denarius. Do you think he needs for them to bring him a denarius for everyone to know what's on the denarius? Who's on the, uh, the, the dollar bill, Ed? George Washington. Ha, ha. And what else does it say on the dollar bill? In God we trust. And what else does it say? United States of America. United States of America. The treasury, the, the blank. I mean, we've all seen it, haven't we? E pluribus unum. Or is that on the quarter? I don't know. It's somewhere, you know? we all know what it says. They all know what it says. But Jesus says, bring me the coin. And he holds it up. It's a big crowd in the temple. You think they can all see it? Well, no, obviously they can't all see it. But Jesus actually says, bring me the coin. And he says, whose picture is on here? Whose image, image, icon, the Greek, whose icon is on here? Ah, oh, does anyone hear something there that's discordant? Whose icon, that's the Greek word, is on this coin? And whose inscription? And, and uh, 
They hug her. Oh, yeah, it's uh, Caesar's. Caesar's, yep. And Jesus says, all right, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they go, oh, I never thought of that. What a surprise. I can't believe it. He just answered this, this conundrum, this problem. He brought peace to Israel because he said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Okay, I see you're more than a match for me, Jesus. Let's do that and uh, we can't fight with you. You really think that's what happened? That's how Jesus wins by stating the obvious, which everyone knew? Come on, you're discrediting Jesus. So Jesus is asked this question, and he says, bring me the coin. Now, there has been a species of teaching on this passage for centuries within the Protestant world especially that is absolutely false, faithless, and contrary to Scripture. And that teaching is the teaching that says, well, Jesus here is establishing two basic kingdoms. There's the kingdom of man that Caesar rules, and there's a kingdom of God that God rules, and you've got to live in them both. And somehow you've got to figure out how to divide your life between the kingdom of man and what you owe Caesar, and the kingdom of God, and you spend your life kind of, well, this I owe you, Caesar, and this I owe you, God, which is the way you live, Right? It's the way you live. So I talk to men and I say, why did you do that evil thing at work? Why did you do that terribly evil thing? And they say, well, you know, it was my board. I really couldn't go against my board. And we go, oh yeah, right. You've got to render to Caesar at this point. You know, you got, just got to go with the flow. How many of you have been in school when someone was being mocked? Some kid being mocked, you weren't the object of the scorn, and you just went, well, I'm glad it's not me. How many of you have been in a situation, okay, thank you for your honesty, how many of you have been in a situation where you know if you speak up, you're going to be the focus of everyone's wrath if you say something about God, and you say, well, i got to render to Caesar, I'm, you know, I could lose my job if I speak up here, so I'm going to render to Caesar here, and I'll render to God somewhere else. How many of you have done that? We've all done it. And this passage is used as an excuse for you not rendering to God. And it's not that. And it has become kind of an evangelical Protestant shibboleth. Oh, give to Caesar, give to God. There are these tool kings and we've got to sort of figure out our path, you know, a middling path between Caesar and God. Let's be sure that we render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, you know. Now, let me say to you, I am not in the slightest saying that this is by Christ an excuse for you not to pay your taxes. The Bible's clear, isn't it? Pay your taxes to whom's due, the Bible says. Could it be more clear? The Bible says the sin of rebellion is like that of divination and idolatry. If you rebel against authority, you are against God. God instituted that authority. Is the Bible clear about that, folks? Yeah. Are we saying something that is against authority or against taxation or any of these things? Absolutely not. But let me say to you that many of our thoughts towards authority and many of our attempts to split the difference between God and, and Caesar 
have, in, especially in this COVID era, have been our doing what we want and calling it obedience to God or obedience deceiver. And we haven't cared a bit for God in it. We've done what we've wanted and we've called it God's will. This passage is not an excuse for not doing what government says. Okay, so what is Jesus doing here? Why does he call for this coin? Why does he say to the people whose icon is on this? What do you think when you think of image? What should come into your mind as biblically literate Christians when you hear Jesus say, whose image, icon, is on this coin? Uh, Absolutely, idolatry. You shall not make for yourself a graven image. Right? You shall not make for yourself, and whose picture is on the coin? I'll show you some in a minute. It's either Tiberius or Augustus. Caesar Tiberius, Tiberius Caesar, or Caesar Augustus. One of the two. It could have perhaps been Julius, but that's been many, many decades. Probably not in circulation anymore. They debased the coin. They, they made it less pure, and so they'd melt down the old, purer ones. So Julius Caesars aren't, are, are not likely to be the ones. It's Tiberius or it's Augustus. That's whose image is on the coin. It's a graven image. It's a molten image, just like the, the means of making was exactly the same as, as Aaron with the golden calf. Whose image, icon, is on this? You know, in the New Testament, image, icon, the word, is used ah, a dozen or so times. It refers to Jesus, who we're told is the very image of the invisible God. Hebrews tells us this. It, uh, it refers to us. It says that we are in the image of God. And it refers to idols. Out of those 12 times, about a, a third of them are about idolatry. So in the book of Revelation, the power is given to the image to speak. And the image is worshipped in Revelation you've read Revelation, you know what I'm speaking about. The image, the image, and here, the image. In the Old Testament, idols are called variously, they translate it kind of strangely back and forth between, uh, in the Greek Old Testament, between, they translate the Hebrew words, sometimes the same word is translated eidolon or icon. Both of them have to do with seeing. The one is what is seen, the other is more the, the act of seeing. Eidolon is the act of seeing. It's a little more abstract. Icon is what is seen, the root of it. And so in the Old Testament, when the, the, the 70 Jewish scribes got together to put the Bible from Hebrew into Greek so it could be read by Jews that no longer spoke Hebrew because they had gone out in the diaspora and the exile all over the world, and because the the head of the library in Alexandria, as legend has it, wanted a copy of the Hebrew scriptures for the library there. Well, the chief rabbi said, translate it into Hebrew and 70 scholars. It's called the Septuagint, means 70. And, uh, and they used icon and eidolon all throughout for the idols. An idol. It's an idol. It is an idol. And that's what image is. It's what the 
the word is that's used in, in the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself an icon. Jesus says, whose icon is on this? What do you think the inscription said? Well, David, would you mind putting up there? Okay, this is Caesar Augustus. He was prior to Tiberius. He died about 20 years before these events. Do you see Caesar Augustus? What's he wearing in his hair? Can you see it? A laurel? Someone's saying it's because, of, because he had triumphs. When you had a Roman triumph, you got a laurel cluster. Caesar Augustus. What does Augustus mean? The august one. What is it? it means the great one. It means its implications are divine. But we don't have to go on implications in this in this thing. Now, I wish, I wish you could see it, but do you see on the, what's called the reverse, that's the obverse, the reverse head, tails, you see that star, kind of, in the center with flames going up? It's a comet that was supposedly an indication of the greatness of the Caesar, the Julian line, it occurred a few days after the death of Julius Caesar, as I recall. And it was an indication of his deity. The gods sent the brightest comet that the world had ever seen. And what does it say there? Can you see D-I-V up at the top? I'm sorry it's cut off. I don't know why. You know what, what the next letter is? What? Did you say A? I love you, sweetie. <laughs> My wife's a diva. <laughs> she said, D-I-V-A. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not A, sweetheart. <laughs> it's D-I-V-I, all right? Divi, what is that? Divine. Caesar Augustus, divine. Do you see that? That's Julius down below. It's... I am the son of Julius, who was divine. Ha! Okay, let's go to the next one. There are various minnings. And this one is Tiberius, the guy who was alive. Okay? This says T-I. That's an abbreviation. Tiberius, Caesar. You can see the C-A without a cross piece. E-S-A-R. Ah! What's the next word? Can you see it back there? Divi, what does it mean? Tiberius Caesar, God. Tiberius Caesar, God. Augustus, uh, from Augustus. All right, that's what it says. Pontiff Maximus, Maxim. Pontiff, priest, high priest. Claiming that he's a god, he's a mediator between God and man, as high priest, and he is a god. Ha! Huh. Okay, let's go to the next one. This is another one. This is uh, uh, an Augustine, all right? And uh, there he's appearing as uh, a god again, Divi. It's the, you don't see it so well here. Div, Div is it's abbreviated. But... Uh, Augustus, and then, uh, I can't remember, uh, I can't read it real well, Grat, Grati, 
Okay, I'm, I'm forgetting what this one says because I can't read it t- totally. But again, the claim is deity, God. Augustus the God. Okay, and could you, David, thank you. The last one, okay, really good quality, but it's hard to read. And uh, this one's also Augustus. Um, it shows him with his brother. It claims his descent from the God, uh, Julius, and it's just another bodacious claim as all the emperors of Rome made them after Caesar, after Julius, to deity. I am the God, I am the son of a God, and I am the high priest and the mediator. And Jesus says, show me the coin, all right? Whose picture is on it? Whose image is on it? Whose image and whose inscription? And all the people there, now you you understand. They're saying, Jesus is saying, this piece of garbage that you look at and you value so much is an idol. It is a worthless idol. Throw it to Caesar. Give Caesar your idols. Get rid of them. But render to God what is God's. It's not a splitting. It's saying give your garbage, your trash, the false gods away. Get rid of them. But render to God what is God's. And that's why these two groups of people leave that day going, what can we say? That's what trumps them. He's undercut their entire argument. And he reduces them to to impotence by this. He said, yeah, really. You Pharisees, you want to keep this money. And you say you're doing it because of God. You say you're doing it because you want to worship God with this money. But you know it's not the truth. You just don't like paying taxes. You just don't like it. And the Herodians, he's saying, yeah, you've made your life following a false god. You've made your bed and you're sleeping in it with Herod now. And that Herod is a worshiper of Caesar. And neither of them has a leg to stand on. Neither of them. And you've been told this passage is about, well, you've got to give Caesar what belongs to Caesar and you've got to give God what belongs to God. And you do need to pay Caesar and you need to obey Caesar. But that's not the point of this passage. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, give everything good you have to God and let Caesar take out the garbage of your life. Don't hold on to your idols. Throw them away. Stop claiming that you're worshiping God when really you're just holding on to your idols and your rebellion. So... We come to the end. Consider the scene for a moment. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came to die for you, who took on human flesh simply so he could save you from your sin. The Son of God, the mediator between God and man, the high priest of God who stands between God and man by his own body reconciling us to God 
being shown this coin where the Caesar says, I'm the son of God and I'm the high priest and I am a God. What blasphemy. The, the, the incredible arrogance of these people and of Caesar. I'm a God, that wicked man. And of the people saying, well, you know, should we pay it to him or not? The whole question is obscene to bring to Jesus, who's two or three days from dying as the high priest and the sacrifice for you and me. It's obscene. So we have here Jesus being asked if they should pay the denarius to Caesar. The son of God. The God who created this world and who established Caesar's throne and who before Caesar was ever born said you will reign. That son of God being asked whether the Jews should pay this valuable money to Caesar. And he says, yeah, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. Not a statement of two kingdoms, not a respectful admission of Caesar's authority. That would not have amazed the crowd. He points out how dark their hearts are. That they're fighting because they're greedy. And one of them wants the coin for his God and one of them wants his, the, the, the idol for himself. And none of them is worshiping God. He says to them, God does not want your idolatrous coins. God is not blessed by a denarius which was a day's wage, $100, $200, something like that today. The son of God saw the widow put her little penny, which was like one one-hundredth of this coin in, into the temple treasury. And he said, that woman gave more than all the rest of the people today combined. God does not need my money or yours. It's our privilege to give it to him, not his need. Give to Caesar what Caesar wants. If Caesar wants your money, yeah, let him have it. The Bible commands you to. If Caesar taxes you, pay him. If Caesar wants his soldiers to furrow your back for refusing to swear by his name as a god, furrow your back with the whips of his soldiers, yeah. Let Caesar have his, his pound of blood. If Caesar hits you on one cheek, turn the other to him. If Caesar wants by his soldiers to have you carry his burdens for a mile, give him two miles. Give Caesar what he wants. Because what he wants is garbage, the things of this earth. He's a false god. Give him his false treasures, the silver and gold which tarnish and get lost and have no enduring value. The things that in heaven become the asphalt, the streets paved with it. But give to God 
will give to God your heart. Give him your heart, not your money. Give God your heart. Give God your life. Give God your praise. I'm afraid that some of us will cheer more heartily for the Bengals this afternoon or this evening than we cheered for God here this morning. You'll show more enthusiasm for a sporting event than you will for God. That's just wrong. It is wrong. If you'll stand and cheer for, at a political rally or at a sporting event, and you won't raise your hands in worship of God, you've divided your life in very bad ways and wrong ways. Give God your praise. Give him the glory. Give God your trust. Stop giving your trust to the place where the powers that be always want you to live in fear. We've lived in an era in which we've seen that that earthly rulers rule by fear. They want you afraid so that you run cowering to them because that's the only way they can establish some kind of some kind of authority over you really. So they, they cause you to fear whether it's fearing them straight up because they're going to kill you or whether it's fearing something else that they're going to deliver you from. Political leadership, earthly Caesars live on fear. You have to kill fear. It is a statement that your God is not worthy. If you live in the land of anxiety, you are living for Caesar rather than God. And I know you say, but it's hard. It's difficult. There's so much that could go wrong. Jesus says, do not be worried about anything. Jesus says, cast your cares on me. He's not going to excuse you because you, you said, but Caesar, I've got to, you know, this is a hard world. I'm, I'm so scared, you know. And he's going to say, oh, oh yeah, that's right. You lived under the God Caesar. You didn't live under me because you lived in fear. You lived in anxiety. You lived in the land of worry. That's Caesar's land. Okay, I understand who your God is. Give God your children. Give God everything. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and these things will be added to you. Honor God. Now I'm going to close by saying a few things. First, what you want to give Caesar. I'm going to list a few things. Give Caesar your money. Never, ever fight for money. Ever. I have seen families that have displayed such godless love for Caesar by the way they fight over inheritances. If you get cheated, so be it. Praise God. He will take care of you. Never fight over an inheritance ever. Because if you do, I tell you, you don't know this Jesus who says, I will take care of you. You don't. Or let me put it a little more gently. 
you're casting your faith in him into doubt because you're not obeying him. Don't fight to get the money that's your due. I have hemophilia. I learned about 10 years ago that back in the 1990s, the drug companies that, that gave, that made the drug that made all of us sick and many of us die because of HCV and HIV, hepatitis C and, and AIDS, that there was a class action lawsuit by the Hemophiliac Society for, on behalf of all hemophiliacs against these drug companies because they kind of brazenly did this knowing that people were going to die. And, uh, and every hemophiliac in the country that was in the Hemophilia Society's database got $250,000, $300,000. I learned that. It's 20 years, 15 years past the date that you could claim it. So I said to Tessa when she went to law school, I said, hey, Tessa, you think you could get some money out of them for me? Maybe that should be your first lawsuit. You know, I missed out on that because... And then I realized, you know why I missed out on that money? Because for 30 years, God allowed me to live without ever needing factor, which I had to take, I mean, four times in the last week, you know, I had to take factor, which is the medicine that costs 20000 a treatment. For 30 years, I didn't have to take it, and I thought... Isn't it crazy that I'm, I'm upset that I didn't get the two hundred and fifty dollars or $300,000 because God kept me healthy? We're so stupid, aren't we? I want my money, but God gave me life. When we first began as a church, I wanted to claim, Gary and I wanted to claim the building we had just built. Some of these great elders who are here today said, let them have the building. We have Christ. So don't fight for money. Don't fight for your health. Many of us are worried about our health. And honestly, the Bible is quite clear that if you obey God, it will often lead to the sacrifice of your health. It will. You can't be a Christian and precious about your health. Because once you get precious about your health, you're not going to take risks. And you, you know, you're not going to go... So I'm not saying not to be, that you should not try and be healthy. I try and be healthy. I, I watch what I eat. But in your mind, establish as a steadfast truth that God has the power to do what he wants with your body and with your children's bodies and that he is God and that health is not the be-all and end-all. I hear older people say, well, thank God I have my health. Very common. Isn't God good that I'm healthy? And I go, oh, man. Well, you know, God was better than John the Baptist because he let him die. You know, wouldn't you rather die for God than go to your grave the healthiest person alive? You say, well, David, that's a false dichotomy. And I know it's a false dichotomy. It's not as though it's exactly a choice between going to the grave healthy or serving God. <laughs> But I have said as I spent money on my teeth, okay? For years I didn't because I thought I was going to die. And I think, should I spend money on my teeth? Do I want to be just a good-looking corpse so they say, oh, he's got great teeth in the casket? You know? I mean, really, it's a question. You know that the Christians were known during the Black Plague when half of Europe died, quarter to a half. 
They were known as the ones who went house to house caring for those who were sick, taking the risk when others wouldn't. The Christians did it. Give God your health. Give God your worldly success and popularity. Jesus was loved by sinners and hated by the powerful. If you honor Jesus in your words, you will be like young men and women I've known who've been rejected by Ivy League schools for mentioning Jesus in their application. So be it. The approval of God is worth 10 times. <laughs> of infinitely greater worth than a Harvard diploma. Blessed are you when all men speak ill of you. What should you give God? Give God your praise. Give God your praise. When you come to this house, put aside everything else so that you are ready to praise God with all your being holding nothing back. Give God your happiness. What do you mean? Give him. Stop seeking it your way and find it in him. Say, I'm going to be happy because I'm with God. Isn't that the best happiness? Any of you ever found a better happiness than God smiling on you? There's no better happiness. When you know God is smiling on you, it is it's better than any drug I've ever taken. Wouldn't you agree, those of you who've taken drugs? You know? I, I know I'm being, I'm, being, I'm being offensive to some of you, and I don't want to be offensive. But the reality is, that's what we, those are the decisions we make. Some of us are addicted to drugs because we think God can't give us a better happiness. Some of us are addicted to TV because we think... We're addicted to romance comms. We're addicted to all these things because we don't think God can give us happiness. Give God your happiness. Give God your love. Love him, which means love his people. Love people here. Who knows that you love them who's here and who's not in your family? What if you said, I love you too? We'll be known by our love. Give God your honor. Find your honor in him and not in your personal standing. Give God your hopes for reward and honor and glory. Pursue the honor that God gives, not that that man gives, not Caesar's honor and glory, but God's. God tells you, for those who seek glory, there will be reward from him. Seek his glory, not the glory of man. Two last things. Give God your vengeance and your vindication. God will avenge you if you're living for him. God is a just God. Don't take your own vengeance. Give it to God. Say, God, deal with my foes. I'm not going to take up a hammer. I'm not going to take up a gun. I'm going to, I'm going to stand here and wait for your, your vengeance, your justice. Give God your vengeance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and for Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep who laid down his life for us, Father. The high priest, the Pontifex Maximus, who was a God, divine. Father, forgive us for wanting these things from the world. 
May we honor you. May we love you. May you be our pursuit. May we give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but to God the things that belong to God. In Jesus' name, amen.